0: from las vegas you're listening to verve church for people who don't like church thanks for tuning in do you ever have runaway thoughts runaway thoughts that lead to panic you know what i mean by runaway thoughts right there's something that happens you think about it your thoughts start intensifying, you start imagining worst-case scenarios, you're in an all-out panic. Maybe uh, you're laying in bed, you can't sleep, you're thinking, huh, my boss didn't fully smile at me when we walked past each other in the hallway today. It was a, a half smile. Could that mean she's getting ready to fire me? Well, that definitely means she's getting ready to fire me. If she fires me, how will I afford groceries? I won't. I, I, won't, I won't be able to afford groceries. If we can't afford groceries, my family's going to starve. Oh, and how, how can we pay for our home? We'll lose our home. That's it. We're going to be starving homeless people. I just know it. I, I do this. One, one thing I do this with is money. I can freak out a little bit about money, uh, not about not not about like getting more than I have. I don't I don't need to be rich. I don't need better things. I freak out about not having anything. Uh, growing up, my dad was a gambler. I, I would say he was a gambling addict because he was, but he was he was also a professional addict. Like his only income was through gambling. So when he won, we had that bling bling. But when he lost, we had no thing. I mean, mean, like literally nothing. He had no income outside gambling, so there was nothing coming in. Uh, And we had some desperate times. So, today, I need to have some money in savings because what if we lose everything? What if we have nothing? What will we do? And if there's an inflation, the price of gas goes up, my amygdala starts screaming, run, fight! Panic can set in. Anxiety starts churning, and I bet you have some problems that lead to runaway thoughts that lead to panic. They may be a little irrational like mine, or they might be very real. I wonder what problems cause you to panic. Not being able to control your future, a bad grade, the scale saying that you've gained a pound, not being able to control uh, you know, what, what's going to happen to you? Someone giving you a funny look, a friend who replies slowly to your text or doesn't reply at all, uh, your preteen texting with a member of the opposite sex, traffic on the way to work, a conversation with your mom revealing that she's taken another step into dementia, your boss walking through the office, just the sight of him. The the thought that you might fail. Today, we are ending, we're completing our series called Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, Next week, new series, Love Where You Live. We're going to learn how we can love those God puts in our lives in ways that change their lives and ours. But today, we conclude Winning the War in Your Mind. What we've learned is that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That is Good news if you're thinking on things that are noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent or praiseworthy. It's bad news if you're thinking on things that are dishonorable, false, ugly, anxious, unjust, fearful, or just plain stupid. Our negative thoughts can spiral out of control and lead our lives in the wrong direction. So. Why do we panic? Are you ready for a quick brain science lesson? Yes, science. We love science, right? Here we go. Well, different parts of your brain have different functions. Like there's a part that's in charge of logic and another part that's in charge of language and another part that comes up with dumb dad jokes. Uh, There's a, a little almond shaped part of your brain called the amygdala. The amygdala is responsible for emotions and survival instincts. When you're afraid, the amygdala is lighting up like a pinball machine. It produces a fight or flight response. The amygdala deploys a tsunami of adrenaline, preparing your whole body for action. And that is a good thing if you're hiking a trail and come across a poisonous snake poised to strike, right? You need to get out of there quickly. The amygdala did its job. It's also a good thing if uh, you're driving one day and suddenly a cow comes flying at your windshield. You must react immediately. You either have to choose to fight that cow or take flight from that cow, which is probably the better choice, right? When you swerve and the cow soars by, you have your amygdala to think. Problem is that your amygdala is not objective. The way it responds to a hurtling cow is also the way it responds to a hurtful conversation. The way it responds to a noise letting you know that a burglar is broken in your house is the way it responds to a notification letting you know that your bank account is overdrawn. If you are confronted with an angry bovine or an aggressive burglar, you need the adrenaline to spark your body into action. If you're facing a, a disappointing text or a disagreeable spouse, you do not need the adrenaline, and it just literally it loiters in your body, um, acting as an unwanted hype man it's making you feel stressed and agitated and on edge and that's why we panic so what makes you panic i I told you mine but what's yours what makes you panic whatever it is your your amygdala which in true fight or flight situations is your best friend is going to work against me. You're gonna have a Michael Scott moment. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, thing? everyone? What's the procedure? But you have another portion of your brain who will help your slightly confused amygdala, uh, which is called your prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the logical part of the brain. Uh, you can think of your amygdala as your twitchy, amped up, jacked, drinks too much Red Bull over-caffeinated, overstimulated, always on edge, high blood pressure cousin. Think of your prefrontal cortex as your thoughtful, level-headed, realistic, even-tempered lawyer uncle. Your cousin wants to go ballistic because they got his order wrong at the drive-through. He is ready to throw down. But your uncle talks him out of unleashing his best Jackie Chan attack, keeping your cousin out of jail for the third time since he's dropped out of high school. So so for an example of how this works, uh, let's say it's the middle of the night, you're asleep, and then you hear a noise in the house. Your, Your amygdala screams, there's someone in the house, he's going to kill you. Your prefrontal cortex clears his throat and says, it was just the cat. Your amygdala screams louder, you're gonna die! Grab the baseball bat under the bed! You have to go ham on this killer in your house, but you'll still probably die! Your prefrontal cortex patiently insists, if it was a killer, I don't think the bat would help you. Fortunately, it was just a cat. Go back to sleep. Your amygdala argues, the cat isn't that loud! It's not the cat! Jump out of the window! It's your only way to survive! Jump out now! Your prefrontal cortex rolls his eyes. If someone had broken into the house, the alarm would have gone off. Besides, if it was a killer and you did jump out the window, what would happen to your kids? Your amygdala yells, They can fend for themselves! Jump! Your prefrontal cortex calmly says, It's just a cat. Amygdala says loudly, If he's right, kill the cat! <laughs> God gave you the logical part of your brain to keep the emotional part of your brain in check. The prefrontal cortex tries to remind me that we're not going to go broke because my wife spent $50 on shoes and tries to assure you that your boss is not really out to get you. But even with the help of our prefrontal cortex buddy, we can still spend a lot of our time allowing our problems to cause us to panic. Right? The presence of problems causes us to panic. Typically, it's not a problem, typically it's problems that send us into, I'm losing it mode, right? But we don't want to lose it. What we want is peace. So what do we do? How do we not plunge into panic and instead find a pathway From our problems to peace. How do we win the war going on in our minds? I think we can learn uh, from a guy in the Bible named Elijah. Uh, Elijah was a prophet. A prophet is someone God chose to speak for him. Uh, Elijah was a prophet who confronted the evil King Ahab about his sin and predicted that God was going to send a drought, which happened. Uh, King Ahab was furious about all of it, and he threatened to kill Elijah. Uh, Ahab's evil wife, Jezebel, also hated Elijah. And for three years, Elijah was on the run. He's like running for his life. Finally, God told Elijah to announce that he would bring rain. First, Elijah had to confront 850 false prophets. Uh, pretty much the entire nation showed up as Elijah emerges victorious over all these false pro- prophets, proving that his God was the one true God. It was an incredible triumph. Elijah must have thought it was the end of his problems, right? It's, it's done finally. But it wasn't. Uh, Jezebel decides, you know, if you, if you want something done right, let a woman do it. My hubby couldn't get rid of Elijah. I can. I'm going to kill him. And Elijah realizes that even after his great victory, his life is still in danger. <sighs> he can't believe it. It is It is uh, too much. Too much. Elijah has had enough. His negative thoughts spiral out of control and lead him into a deep depression. In fact, he prays that he would die, which notice how irrational that is. His biggest fear is that Jezebel will kill him, and so he wants to die. It doesn't make sense, but Elijah's not thinking clearly. He has had enough. have you been there? Have you been there? You've reached the place where you cannot handle one more thing, right? Your teenager keeps giving you attitude, or you have a series of unplanned expenses, or day after day, your boss doesn't recognize your contribution, or your spouse does that thing that annoys you one too many times, or uh, your your toenails keep getting snagged on the bed sheets just probably you've had enough that's where elijah was at and check out first kings chapter 19 verse 4 i have had enough lord he said take my life for i am no better than my ancestors who have already died notice how he's allowing his negative thoughts to run from I've had enough to I'm no better than my ancestors to they're lucky because they're already dead. I get it because I can do the same thing. You too, right? From my my life is hard to I can never get it all done to I don't like my life to no one understands to I can't stand all the pressure to it's always going to be like this. Why? Because of problems. What we do is we get fixated on the presence of our problems and we lose our focus on the presence of God. We get fixated on the presence of our problems and we lose our focus on the presence of God. If you read a story, uh, you see that God was with Elijah every step of the way. He was faithful, his power was often visible, his provision was miraculous. Yet when Elijah faced problems, he forgot God. It's interesting, Elijah's name should have been an ever-present reminder of his ever-present God. The L in Elijah is short for Elohim, which means God. The I in Elijah means my, and Jah is a way Israelites shorten the word Yahweh. Yahweh or Jehovah is the name of God. So Elijah's name literally meant Yahweh is my God. He feels like God is absent from his life. Uh, earlier in our series, we looked at some words Paul wrote from prison Uh, You might remember Philippians chapter four, where Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In, uh, in the middle of trying to help people understand how they can rejoice and experience peace, Paul wrote, the Lord is near. Why? Because recognizing God's presence will give you peace when you have cause for panic. Elijah forgot that the Lord is near. And he needed a reminder. So God gave him one. God uh, revealed himself. Uh, God told Elijah to go stand on a mountain. Um, He says, in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Uh, Elijah stands there waiting when a great wind tore through the mountain, shattering rocks. But God was not in the wind. And then a powerful earthquake shook the earth, but God was not in the earthquake. Next came a fire, but God was not in the fire. After the fire, there was silence. And then there was a a whisper. And God was in the whisper. God whispered to Elijah, And when you are overwhelmed and feeling anxious, if you listen for his voice, you will find that God is whispering to you. But why? Why does God whisper? Here's what I think. Uh, He whispers because he is close and he whispers to draw you close. God whispers because he is close and he whispers to draw you close. When we're hurting, when we're afraid, when we're overwhelmed, we may shout out to the heavens and and wait for God to shout back at us. We we, we don't understand why God doesn't speak loudly to us, commanding our attention in obvious ways. Why doesn't he? Why don't you hear him? Well, perhaps God wants you to slow down to be still and to listen carefully for his soft, comforting, quiet voice. You have to get quiet and listen carefully. God whispers because he is close and he whispers to draw you close. What what exactly did Elijah learn on the mountain that day? It's this. When you've had enough, God is enough. When you've had enough, God is enough. Elijah had endured so much hardship. He cried out to God, I've had enough. I want to die. Elijah didn't understand what he really needed. He didn't need to die. He didn't even need for God to, to solve all his problems. He just needed God. When you've had enough, God is enough. And that, that's, uh, that's what I've been learning. I, I told you about my money anxiety, fearing that something's going to happen and I'll be right back at the same place like I was when I was a kid of having nothing. It's runaway negative thoughts. You know, what if the price of everything keeps going up? What if the car breaks down? What if we need a new roof? What if I lose my job? What, what, if, what if we're left with nothing? And finally, one day I realized, even if I were left with nothing, I would still have God. And he is everything. That's what we didn't have when I was a kid. We didn't have God. But we do now. I do now. He is with me. He's protecting me. The the bad things I imagine aren't going to happen. But even if they did, even if I were left with nothing, I would still have God. And he is everything. That's what Elijah learned. God was enough. And the same is true for you. You might be feeling uh, burdened, overwhelmed, anxious. Maybe your soul feels crushed. Listen. When you've had enough, God is enough. When, uh, when you are in the middle of your work week and you're feeling overwhelmed and drained, pause and remember, God is enough. When you're worried because your bank account is getting way low, sh- 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 God is enough. Yes. The presence of problems is tempting you to panic. But don't ignore the presence of God. God is bigger than your problems. The most essential thing for your mind is for your mind to stay mindful about the presence of God so you can pray to him. Whatever you're worried about, pray about. He loves you. And if it is on your mind, it is on God's heart, he is close. The Lord is near. He will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from his love. He is always with you. He is with you right now in this moment. You are never alone because he is with you and he is enough for you. His strength sustains you. He watches over you and he guides you with his loving eye upon you. God is close and he wants to draw you close. So listen for his whisper. Let's do right, right now. Let's, um, let's have a moment of silence and then we'll pray together, asking God to remind us of his presence. Let's, uh, let's be silent and then let's pray. God, you tell us in your word, to be silent and know that you are God. God, so often our, our minds are so loud. We have all these runaway thoughts. We're, we're in this panic. And you tell us to be silent, to be quiet, and know that you are God, to listen for your whisper. And if we do, we'll hear it because you do whisper. You whisper because you are close. You don't need to shout. You're not out there way up in the heavens. You're right here with us. You whisper because you're close. And you whisper because you want to draw us close so that we'll hear you so that you can hold us. God, remembering your presence in the presence of our problems is part of how we will win the war in our minds. Would you help us to do that, God? We pray all this in your name. Amen.